0: Bible study tonight is preparing for the harvest, preparing for the harvest, preparing for the harvest is the topic of our lesson tonight, and I'm going to take my time and go through scripture and uh, give you some commentary on what I'm talking about tonight so you have clear understanding, but I want you to understand quite clearly tonight What we are discussing, preparing for the harvest. In order to reap a harvest, one must prepare for the harvest. That's simple enough. How one prepares for for a harvest. Here is preparation for Harvest. You have to plow the ground. Somebody say plow the ground. ground. You got to get rid of the weeds and the thorns. You got to get rid of those things. Once you plow the ground, you get rid of the weeds and the thorns, then you're able to sow the seed. There must be watering or rain that must come upon the seed. So if the seeds are planted and there's no water or rain, then that's a little bit of problem there. Once the seed is planted and it's being watered, then growth will take place. So the seed will grow and turn into fruit. Right. Now, the thing I want to point out to you about the growth process of the seed. Listen to this. The seed and the Lord Jesus Christ, the Almighty God, has to work together for growth to take place. Growth has nothing to do with the teacher, growth has everything to do with you and God. If you aren't growing, it's not God's fault. Because God already said, I know the thoughts I have towards you. God already said, before you were even created in your mother's womb, I knew you. And I have anointed you to be this or that or that or that in the kingdom. So every person in the eyes of God has been called into the church by God. To do something special, which means the way you come in, you're going to grow and grow and do what God had ordained for you to do. But that can only be accomplished between you and God. And that's a very important point that we must look at tonight. That growth can only take place if the seed is willing and God is working. But I know God is always working for growth to take place. So we can eliminate that part and say if God is working. God is working. So the growth can only happen if the seed is willing. And finally, when the seed grows and produces fruit, then are we able to reap a harvest. Is that clear? All right. Tonight, as we talk about... Preparing for the harvest, tonight we're going to talk about the first principle of preparing for the harvest. And that is plowing the ground. Somebody say plowing the ground? So tonight we're going to talk a little bit about plowing the ground. Jeremiah 4 and 3. The scripture makes it plain. That unplowed ground is unproductive. Unplowed ground is unproductive. So if the ground is not plowed, it can't produce anything. Got proof for you. I'll, I'll, I'll teach, I'll, I'll show you in the scripture where I'm right about that. But if the ground is not plowed, don't think you're going to get any production from that ground. Jeremiah chapter 4 verse 3 says, For thus saith the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground, and sow not among thorns. So the scripture said, break up your fallow ground. Fallow ground means hardened ground, hard ground. So if the ground is hard, it means that it's not touched, it's not plowed, it's caked up. So the scripture says, break up your fallen ground and sow not among thorns. So you can't sow when the ground is hard and you don't want to sow among thorns. Hosea chapter 10 verse 12 says this, sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy. Break up your fallen ground for it is The time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. Because the ground has become followed, it is absolutely necessary to plow the ground before sowing the seed. Because the ground is so hardened, it's very necessary to plow the ground in order to sow the seed. The ground we're talking about tonight, in case you're not connecting here, we're talking about the ground of your heart, your soul, your spirit. Let me not say soul. We're talking about the ground of your heart, okay? Your heart and your spirit at times in the Bible is referred to as the same thing, your heart and your spirit. So what we're talking about when we're saying plowing the ground, we're talking about plowing the heart, The spirit of mankind. Because it's hard. Stick with me. The harvest we're talking about is the soul of mankind. So the heart, which is the spirit of man, needs to be plowed because it's hard. And the soul of man is what God is reaping and reaching for. The reason for plowing is so we can sow seeds. You can't sow seed if you didn't plow. No ground is ready made. You know the only ground that was ready made? Thank you. (laughs) The garden was ready made. No plowing was necessary. It was all good. As a matter of fact, Adam didn't have to plow, didn't have to sow any seeds because it was all perfect. All the trees that he needed was already growing up. The, the, the the ground was just perfect. Since then, since men or mankind sinned in the garden, the ground needed to be plowed. Sin and the ground work together. The natural and the spiritual work together. Oh man. I'm trying to take my time. I don't want to go too deep. But watch, when man sinned, man's heart became hardened. When man sinned, the ground became, the physical, literal ground became hard as well. Now man had to plow. And now man had to take care of the ground. When before man sinned, they didn't have to take care of the ground. <laughs> Alright. So let's take a look at Seeds that are sown into unplowed ground and seeds that are sowed into a plowed ground. Matthew chapter 13 verse 3 says, And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. Verse 4, And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside. Pay attention to wayside. Is wayside a plowed ground? Wayside is just off to the side, right? Not a ground that's plowed. It's just off to the side. Nobody's paying attention to that. So he sowed some seeds that fell by the wayside. And fowls came and devoured them. Verse 5. Some seeds fell upon stony places. Is that plowed ground? Where they had not much earth and forthwith they sprung up. Because they had no deepness of earth, and when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. So the seeds that were sown by the wayside, fowls of the air came and ate those seeds. The seeds that were sown in stony places, the sun just scorched them and they never became anything because... They were planted on rocky places. Then in verse 7 it says, And some fell on thorns. Some of the seeds was planted among thorns. And the thorns sprung up and choked them. So those seeds, because the ground wasn't weeded and plowed, thorn choked out the, 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 the flower that began to grow. Verse 8. But other fell into good ground. Somebody say good ground. Good ground mean the ground is now plowed. It, it means the ground is weeded out. It's ready. And so when the seed was sown into good ground, what did it say? It, bought, it brought forth fruit some 100 hundredfold, some 60 fold, and some 30 fold. And so that's what we have here. So because it fell on good ground, something happened. But when it didn't fall on good ground, nothing happened. All kind of things that weren't profitable happen, I should say. Some of us, listen to me carefully tonight. Some of us are sowing no seeds. None at all. Some of us are sowing seeds in grounds that's not plowed. Some of us are sowing no seeds at all. Some of us are sowing seeds in grounds that's not plowed. So we get frustrated when there's no result and somehow God is not responding to me. It's not God that's not... God wants fruit. The harvest is His. It's not yours anyway. And so God desire people to be blessed. God desire people to be saved. God desire for people to live a victorious life more than you or me can ever desire. Because me or you never died for anyone so they can be saved. But Jesus Christ did. So he wants this more than anybody else. So he wants it, the seed to take root and to grow. He does want that. But we need to realize that the ground has to be plowed first. And so some of us, we're sowing seeds, but we're sowing seeds on ground that's not plowed. Make sure those kids are quiet back there. Peyton. So in order to reap a harvest, we have to plow and sow the seed on good ground. No plowing equal no harvest. No plowing equal no harvest. So some of us have sown some seed among thorns. Some of us have sown some seeds among the wayside. Some of us have have sown some seeds on stony places. I'm doing the work of the Lord. I am trying to labor with Christ. Why am I not seeing any results? Stony, wayside, thorns. That's why you're not seeing any growth. It's not God doing something wrong. Again, God wants people to be saved. We can only get results if we sow seeds on plowed ground, good ground. Mm -hmm. Listen to this scripture in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 4. This is this scripture of all the scriptures I'm going to share tonight, this is probably the most interesting scripture I'm going to share with you tonight. I thought this was just it it was just really interesting. Proverbs chapter 20 verse 4 says this. The sluggard will not plow by reason of the cold. Therefore shall he beg in harvests and have nothing. <laughs> The Bible is so rich with things that you just would never think of. So the word of the Lord is telling us, let's, let's make it personal now. There are some of us that will not plow because we have some excuse, some reason for why we're not plowing. Oh, I can't do that because I'm just not that kind of person. Oh, I'm not doing that because it just wasn't time yet. Oh, I'm not doing that because every Christian don't have to do that. We we come up with these different ways of thinking, and then when harvest time comes and you can't harvest anything because you didn't plant any seed, you didn't sow any, you didn't plow any ground, and so now you reap nothing, and now you're saying it's somebody else's fault. So it's teaching us here that as an individual, if we do not plow and sow, then what's going to happen is there will be no harvest. Whatever our reasons are for not plowing, we will not have a harvest. Now listen to this. Every one of us that are called to be children of God will and must reap a harvest. If you are a child of God and you don't reap a harvest, I am promising you that more likely you will probably never get to heaven. I can't say this enough that a selfish Christian is not going to heaven. We cannot be selfish. Listen, our God has demonstrated the greatest selfless act. How is he going to have people living with him in his kingdom that are selfish? Makes no sense to me. So I don't see where a selfish Christian will ever make it in. I believe somewhere along the line as you're living your selfish Christian life, somewhere along the line you're going to stop focusing on Lord Jesus Christ and focus so much on yourself and focus so much on what's wrong with you and focus so much on what you need that you're going to stop focusing on Jesus Christ. And no one can ever really get a true relationship with Jesus if they're focusing on them. So that's why it's important. I don't have this written tonight, but you know the scripture in Matthew six thirty three, where it says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. We're doing all that we can to try to make a life for ourselves. And if Jesus can speak audibly to all of us, you know what he would say? why are you worrying about that is that my teaching that you try to make a life for yourself or is my teaching seek my kingdom and do my will and I've got your back and I will bless you and keep you I will make my face shine upon you be gracious I will provide for you he says he will provide for us according to his riches in glory he said he would do abundant and exceeding above whatever we will ask or think so think about that is God lacking anything to give to you? So why are we chasing everything but what he said to chase? And here is the story. Here is, here is the, the thing that's funny about it. As you begin to seek God's kingdom... The things that you are chasing become meaningless to you. So we don't even realize that the things we're chasing is kind of meaningless, but we've made it something important right now because we don't really understand the kingdom. But once we get an understanding of the kingdom and start to chase the things of the kingdom, we'll begin to look at some of the stuff and say, what do I need that for? What am I doing with that? Why am I working to buy that? Why am I paying all this this bill for this and this bill for that? Amen. <laughs> The Apostle Paul says, all that he gained, he counted as dung to win Christ. So when you really get involved with God, the things that become important to you is different from the things that were important to you before you got involved with God. It's just that simple. Matthew 9. Verse 37 and 38. Listen to this. Then said he, talking about Jesus, then said Jesus unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Ooh-wee. The harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. He needs some help. Somebody said God needs some help. Uh huh. Uh huh. By the way, let me ask you a question: How did you end up in church? Let's stop right there for a second. How did you get to church? Did you just wake up out of your bed and just you just just appear in church? Or did somebody invite you to church? Or did somebody teach you the word of God? Did you just appear in church? Or did somebody reach out to you? The least we can do is reach out to somebody else. (laughs) Right? And when you start to reach out to somebody else, you become a laborer with Christ. That's what he's saying. And so there's a scripture in the Bible that talks about the ten lepers. Jesus healed all ten lepers, and they left, and one came back. He's trying to teach us how ungrateful and selfish we really are. That's that's what God is trying to show us. Like, I gave you eternal life. I died for you. I did all, and you couldn't just show a little bit of appreciation? When we labor with him, we're showing some kind of appreciation. Verse 38 says this, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest. Jesus, it's his harvest. It's not mine, it's not yours. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. So let, let's take a moment here and let's pray that prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, the harvest is plenteous. But laborers are few. And I pray tonight with this congregation that you will send forth laborers into your harvest. There are people that are lost. There are people that are hurting. There are people, Lord, that don't know who you are. There are people, Lord God, that's been taught false doctrine. There are people, Lord God, that are misguided. But, Lord, you still are reaching for them. And the way you're going to reach them is by using us as your laborers. But God, it's not enough laborers that are God here today. And we need for you to reach lives and touch homes and touch people that they will become laborers with you. So we pray for laborers into your harvest in the name of Jesus Christ. Laborers, Lord, into your harvest in the name of Jesus Christ. People are the harvest that we ought to reap. People are the harvest that we ought to reap. We're not talking about bananas and apples and plums. We're talking about the life of people. The most precious thing on this earth, the most valuable thing on this earth is a soul, not a million dollars, not gold bars, not diamonds. The most precious and valuable thing in this world is a soul. Jesus Christ didn't come and die for riches. He didn't come and die for anything but the soul of human. You know what Jesus said? Everything in this world all the riches of this world is not worth one person. Can we ever get that, understand that concept? Kamal, the Bible is saying that if we get all the riches of the world, you got billionaires today. I mean, had, we, we have more billionaires now than we've ever had in the history of this world. And he's saying with all the billionaires put together, with all the millionaires put together, with all the thousandaires put together, with all the hundredaires put together, and all the diamonds, all, the, all of the, the, the jewels that's in this world, you put it all together, Jesus said, that's not worth more than one person's life. Amen. That's a different perspective. And we just kill each other like it's no big thing. We just treat people's life like it's no big thing. And what we're what we're killing them for, Jesus is saying, that is not even a speck of what a life is value. You see how his, his teaching is so far beyond how we see things? Man, I thank God that I've met him and that I know him. Understand this. People, this is important. I'm getting into something a little bit deeper now. People being lost, separated from God, having no relationship with God, is a supernatural spiritual condition. Let me say that again. People being lost, separated from God, having no relationship with God, is a supernatural spiritual condition that must be addressed in a supernatural spiritual way. Listen to me. It is the responsibility of the church to exercise the kingdom of God to reach these lost souls who are separated from God that they may be reconciled unto God. When you become a part of the church, you don't have a choice. You become part of God's army to help him reach these people that are lost, that are separated. These people that, that that don't know who God is and don't have a relationship with him. Once we get that understanding, it's now our chance, our opportunity to help God. People cannot be saved or reconciled to God if the kingdom of God does not come to them. I'm going somewhere now. We've been trying to reach people... With intellect. We've been trying to tell people just go to church with a good, you know, eh, you need to go to church. We've been trying to reach people by just encouraging them. You know what I realized today? I cannot influence anybody to be saved. I realize God has given me influence and God has given you influence, but influence can't get anybody saved. I feel like God put that one in me today. Influence will not save anybody. You can talk to people till you're blue in the face. Your influence will not save them. Can they just do some? Can they do some of the things that you told them? Yes, they could. Doesn't mean they're saved. Doesn't mean they're living for God because they're doing what you told them to do. Maybe they just don't want to let you down. Maybe they're just somebody that just feel like, oh, you know, I, I don't like to disappoint people, so I'll just do it. Hmm. Due to people's spiritual condition of being lost, separated from God, there is a supernatural spiritual resistant to the gospel message operating in their life. And that's the part that we missed. So let me explain that to you. People are lost. And we're trying to get them to know who Jesus Christ is, trying to help them get saved. And we're trying to explain the gospel as best as we can. And we're wondering, why aren't they getting this? Because there's a spiritual resistance operating in their life and operating around them. So you're speaking and that spiritual existence, that spiritual resistance is just batting it down, batting it down. Oh Jesus love you, bat it down. You know what Jesus want to save you, bat it down. And you're wondering why aren't they getting this? Because there's a spiritual resistance! <laughs> So that's why probably you got relatives that you're wondering, why haven't they come to God yet? People that you work with and you've been trying to be a good Christian example and tell them, why? And you're like, why God? It's because there's a spiritual resistance that's stopping them from receiving. Yeah. I'll break it down for you. I should let you know it's just not me. It takes the kingdom Coming to those lost people for them to accept and be obedient to the gospel. It takes the kingdom coming to them and you by you just showing up and telling them Jesus loved them. That does not do anything. By you showing up and telling them, come to church, that does not do anything. This is why people can come to church and says, man, that was pretty good. And they leave and nothing changed in their life. This is why you can tell people, come to church and they'll come. But it doesn't mean anything because at the end of the day, it's going to take the supernatural power of God to really save their soul. The kingdom has to come to them. Mm-hmm. This is why we say people being lost, separated from God is a supernatural problem. It's not a natural intellectual problem. It's not even a moral problem. We're experiencing so many different things in our world today, and we're using some. Some is racism. Some is this. Some is that. I'm like, no, that's not it. People are lost. They don't know who Jesus is. And so therefore, they can't understand what they need to do. We keep on going to this. I'm tired of the racism stuff we talk about. We're just lost and stupid and just ignorant. And we're worried about the president. We're worried about this one. I'm saying, people know we have a problem. And the problem is people are lost. And the spirit of evil and that spiritual resistance is batting down truth and righteousness and holiness and they can't get it and they're doing wrong because they can't get it and we're blaming on actions it's no 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 jesus never got political jesus never got into race because at the end of the day people are lost and it's going to take the spiritual power of god to deliver them Not your intellect, not a good program, not the right president, not the right governor, not the right congressman or mayor. That's not what it's going to take. It's going to take the supernatural power of God to deliver them for their life to get right. Until that happens, this is why God didn't call us to criticize anything or anyone. When you find yourself criticized, you need to take a step back and say, why am I doing this? Are they living for God? Do they know who Jesus is? Do they have a relationship with Jesus? No. So why are you even criticizing? They're in a place where they don't even know how to help themselves. They can't understand. Huh. We will not reach lost people through our intellect. We will need not reach lost people through great human strategic programs. We will not reach lost people through religious programs. We will not reach lost people with spiritual entertainment or even eloquent speeches masquerade as sermons. People can come to a church service. I was in one in in April. Go to church service and people come up with a nice little story to tell you about the Bible. They find a nice little passage in the Bible that they can, you know, talk about and and they talk about it and nothing happened. When I went to that event over the Easter resurrection, what was it? Um, Good Friday. And I went up to that church and we had six preachers talk about what they talked about. Everybody gave a nice little speech. And when I spoke, the kingdom came. And because the kingdom came, people started crying and wondering, what must I do? I've I've got this situation. This is wrong. And I need to get my life right. When the kingdom come, there's a spiritual power that comes in that destroys all of the resisting evil power. The kingdom has to come. And that's how people get reached. But if I come in, if you come in here and I tell you a nice little story every time you come, all you're getting is intellectual information. Your life won't change. The kingdom gotta come to you. We're going somewhere. The lost can only be reached by and through the power of God. The lost, listen to this, the lost are blind to the gospel and their lost condition is due to the influence of the God of this world. First, Second Corinthians chapter 4. This is good scripture here. Second Corinthians chapter 4 verse 3 says this. Listen to this. It's very good. But if our gospel be hid, it means if our gospel be covered up, it is covered up to them that are lost. That ain't it though. No. Watch verse 4. Now, here come the big one. They're lost. The gospel's hid, and that means they're lost. In whom the God of this world. You see, it says small g, God. So it means it's not the almighty God. So it says the God of this world had blinded the minds of them which believe not. So now we're wondering why people are not accepting what we're saying. Why people aren't listening to what we're saying. Because the God of this world has covered it up and they can't see it. You're saying, can't you see? Can't you see? And they're saying, what is he talking about? The God of this world had blinded their mind. They can't see. So the word, the gospel is covered up. So we're trying to talk to people. We're trying to speak the word of God to them and they can't even see it. Because it's covered up by the God of this world. So why people don't believe in Jesus Christ? Because they can't see anything. The gospel is covered up. They can't believe in Christ because they can't see. Then it says, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Let me give you an example right now. I want you to put your hands over your eyes right now. Cover both your eyes. Cover both your eyes. Everybody cover both your eyes. I'm going to ask you a question. Is the light on? No. Let me ask you a question again. Is the light on in this room? Can you see it? There you go. That's what's happening to people that don't have a relationship with Christ. Their eyes are covered. And so here is this gospel that you're bringing to them for them to receive it. And they're like, I'm not seeing it. I'm not seeing it. I'm not seeing it. (laughs) I'm not seeing it. And you're thinking, man, I presented this gospel so eloquently. Man, I just told them the right things and yeah, they're going to come to church. I'm, I just, <laughs> they didn't know what you were talking about. <laughs> I'm just telling you, that's what this text is telling you. So we're beating people up for not listening and not understanding and not coming to church and not realizing they can't see. They can't see. They can't see. The ground is not plowed. So nothing is sticking. Nothing is working. Because the only thing that will work is the power of God. The kingdom has to come to them for them to begin to see. (laughs) What is the result of someone that is lost? When we say someone is lost, what are we talking about? Ephesians 4 verse 7 says this. I'm, I'm sorry, verse 4, chapter 4 verse 17 says this. This I say therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk. Again, this is reference to people that are not Christians. So the word of God is saying, don't walk like people that are not Christians are walking. Then it goes on to say, they walk not as other Gentiles. You say walk not as other Gentiles walk. And how do they walk? In the vanity of their mind. When you're separated from God, when you don't have a relationship with God, you live your life according to your own intellect and how you feel and how you see things. That's how you live. That's how you live your life. When there's no Jesus in your life, what else is, what else can you do? Where else are you going to draw your reference from to live your life? You, no place. So you can only live your life according to the vanity of your mind. However your mind see things and comprehend things, that's the only way you can live. Verse 18 goes on to explain when you are living a life separated from Christ, here are some things that will happen. Having your understanding darkened. Just think about when you walk in a dark room, Will, and you've never been in that room before. Will you know where to walk, or are you going to be stepping carefully and feeling and trying to make it? You don't know how to navigate in a dark room where you've never been. When you're lost, that's kind of what happens to you. You're moving around not really knowing how you're moving, where you're going, because you're in a dark place that you can't figure out what's going on. And as soon as you think you've figured something out, I don't know if this ever happened to you, you walk in a dark room where you don't really know, and as soon as you think, alright, here's a little way where I can walk a little bit, and all of a sudden, BOOM! You hit your knee into something. Where did that come from? Cause you don't know the room, it's dark, you can't see. Well, when you're separated from God, these are the things that happens to us, and we're blaming everybody. No, you're walking in darkness! You're walking in your own imagination! It says being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them. So here is the other story. Let me say it nicely. When you don't have a relationship with God, you're ignorant. In this world it says if you're not educated, you're ignorant. That's this world. But in God's kingdom... You're ignorant when you are not in a relationship with God. And God is not trying to be derogatory with that. What he's saying is, I am the all-knowing God. And if you don't know me, you don't know nothing. That's what he's saying. He's not trying to be derogatory to us. He's just saying, if I'm all-knowing, who else knows? If I'm all-knowing, who else are you going to go to that knows? Nobody. So the bottom line is, you're ignorant because you don't know what I know. And the only way you're going to know what I know, you're going to have to come to me to find out what I know. And when I tell you what I know, then you will no longer be ignorant. Man, God, I love the Lord. He just shows you so many things and help you in so many ways. If you'll just listen and you'll just surrender to him, he will do so much for us. And we're ignorant, he says, because of the blindness of our heart. So, when you're blind, here is how you look at blindness sometimes. Blindness is darkness, darkness is ignorance, darkness is just lack of knowledge. Light is light, but light is also knowledge. So, light represents knowledge and the actual illumination. So when you have light, you have understanding, you have knowledge, and you really can see because there's light. When you, when, when you're in darkness, it means you don't have understanding, you don't have knowledge. Verse 19, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness, to work uncleanness with greediness. So when we are living in a relationship without God, when we're outside of God, when we're separated from God, this is how we live our life. Vainness of our mind. In darkness. No light shining. we doing however we want. That word lasciviousness always was a word that piqued my interest when I read the Bible. And that word means to be undisciplined and unrestrained behavior. Undisciplined, unrestrained behavior. If you are not disciplined and your behavior is not restrained, that's operating in you. It also means outrageous conduct. I love that word. Lasciviousness. It takes the power of God to drive away the spiritual resistance operating in the life of lost people. Did you hear me? It takes the power of God to drive it back. Example. Remember when Jesus showed up and the demons was terrorizing people. Jesus showed up. Oh, Jesus, have you come to torment us before our time? Oh, Jesus. When Jesus showed up, the demons started doing like this. Oh, Jesus, you going to torment us before our time? So that tells you how powerful is the power. He didn't even open his mouth yet. He just showed up and hit it. Oh, hold on. What are you going to do? All right, all right, let, let, let me let me just explain. Can you just cast us in this pig real quick? Just don't, just cast us in outer dark. Just let us go in this pig. Can you do that for us, Jesus? All right, I'll let you go in the pig. My point is, there is spiritual resistance in lost people's life. And only when the power of God shows up does that spiritual resistance get subdued and fold up chop and says, I got to go. The lost soul cannot receive and obey the gospel without the power of God subduing or driving away that spiritual resistance working in their life. The ground is hard. It's not happening. Remember, we talked about this text. Acts chapter 26, verse 16 says, but arise or rise and stand up on thy feet. For I have appeared unto thee for this purpose. This is Jesus telling Paul, I've appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen and of those things in which I will appear unto thee. You don't even catch that. I go so deep sometimes in the world, like, oh, God. And what Jesus was telling the apostle Paul is, I'm going to make you a minister and a witness. And when you get ready to do those things, I'm going to show up. He says, things in which I will appear unto thee. So he's letting Paul know, when you begin to exercise the kingdom, I show up. And I drive back the demons. And I subdue the demons. It's me doing the work. You just got to go in my authority. (laughs) <laughs> Delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom I now send thee. What are you sending him to them to do, Jesus? Verse 18, to open their eyes. Now we know they weren't blind naturally or physically. So when he said open their eyes, it's talking about spiritually. So people that are lost, they're blind. And we just read that over in the other thing. They're blind and they can't see. So in order for them to begin to get delivered, we have to go and deliver them. Open their eyes. That's the first thing that, that, that Jesus said, Paul, you need to go and open their eyes. So they're blind. Remember I said this? And you're talking about everything about Jesus. And they're like, I don't understand. I can't see. But God says, I've given you the power to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light. I've given you the power to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light. And from the power of Satan unto God. And they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Let me see if I can just really quickly make that clear for you. So the kingdom must come to people before they can ever get saved. He said they're blind. So witnessing to blind people, unproductive. He said that they're in darkness. Witnessing to people that are in darkness, unproductive. Witnessing the people that are under the control and influence of Satan. Unproductive. And that's what we've been doing. (laughs) This is why we we said we're preparing for the harvest now. Now we're going to do it the way the Lord wants us to do it. We're going to, we're preparing for the harvest now. And so we have to show up. And begin to plow the ground. We have to show up and and bring the kingdom to them before anything can happen. Then it says, when we open their eyes, we're not physically doing it. Obviously, it's the power of God that's doing it. When we get them to turn, when we get them to turn from darkness to light, turn from evil to righteousness, and then from the control, from the authority of Satan. You got to realize, Satan... His authority is ruling in their life. And you're showing up trying to tell somebody about Jesus, but they have another authority operating in their life. So they're rejecting everything. Get out of here with this Jesus stuff. Maybe they're not saying it to you literally, but that's what's going on in the spiritual. Get out of here with this Jesus stuff. I don't want to hear about this Jesus stuff. But that's because they're under the influence of Satan. and so you're trying to get them to do that and it's not working so if we show up and we open their blind eyes to the power of god turn them from darkness to light and from the power of satan to the power of god the scripture says then they may receive forgiveness of sins so now Remember what I told you, the first thing that must happen for us to receive God is revelation. I'm not going to go into all that. But when the kingdom come and you speak the word of God over their life and their eyes are open and they come out of darkness and now they're turned from Satan and turn to power of God, then they will see their wrong and begin to repent. This is why they get forgiveness of sin. Oh, somebody. This is when, now, when they can see, because whenever you can see... You don't, nobody have to tell you, oh, I need to ask God for forgiveness. Why? Because now you can see all your wrong. When we do wrong and we go before a judge. Remember, you might have been sitting in jail for a little bit. And now it's time to meet the piper you stand before your honor. And your honor, read your charges and have proof that you are guilty. What do you do then? I don't know why we play these games with ourselves. God is not, we can't play games with God. Cause when you stand before your honor and he reads your charges and have proof that you committed these crimes, only thing you can do then is beg for mercy. When you know you're looking at 30 years, 5 years, 10 years, 2 years, all you can do is beg for mercy. I can't tell you how many times I've gone down to the court. Going before your honor, your honor he's been a good guy since i've met him he's doing I'm begging for mercy for him. Jesus deliver us, and we don't even ask for mercy. He deliver us from eternal death because remember when you get locked up for thirty years, man, American prison is a piece of cake. you can laugh, I'm telling you it's the truth. You get locked up in a foreign country and see what happens. <laughs> So American jail is a piece of cake. So you getting 30 years in American jail is not that bad comparing to some of the foreign jails. But here is the thing. It doesn't even compare with you having eternal damnation in hell. And Jesus is delivering us from hell. And we don't have the decency to say, have mercy on me, Lord. I'm a sinner. Will you forgive me? Says forgiveness of sin and inheritance among which you are sanctified by faith in me. So the kingdom must come to you or demonstrated in your life before you have an opportunity to receive God's word and get saved. So let me go and tell you this. We have to plow the ground, remove the weeds, plant the seeds, water the seed. The Lord and the seed work together that there is growth then we can reap the Lord's harvest. Prayer is how we plow spiritually. Uh, 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 uh. I said all that to come to this. Prayer. So, here is what we've been doing wrong. I'm getting ready to talk to somebody about God. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I'm getting ready to talk to Errol. And Errol is bound, but I'm praying in the name of Jesus Christ by the authority of the word of God and the power of the Holy Ghost I pray that you will remove blindness from Errol's eye right now in the name of Jesus and I pray Lord God that your light will shine in his life and that your light will overshadow the darkness in his life that he is able now to see and I pray in the name of Jesus that he will be turned from the control of Satan and unto the control of the all Almighty God, Father, I pray this in the name of Jesus. Then I go over and begin to talk to him about Jesus. The ground was plowed through my prayers. That's what I did when I prayed exactly how I prayed, not just prayed any kind of prayer. We just read that they're blinded. They can't see. We just read that they're in darkness. They can't feel around and know. They have, they don't have understanding. They're not clear. They don't know where to go. So we just read that. We read that they're under the control of Satan. They don't want to admit to it and they don't have to admit to it, but you know. This is why we say that when you get God, you get knowledge, but when you don't have God, you're ignorant. They don't know they're bound and under the control of Satan, but you know now. You pray that prayer. And then you go over and you begin to talk to them about the loving God that loves them. Then you go over and talk to them about what can happen. Intercessory warfare prayer by the word of God is how we set the captives free and plow the ground. So that's why I said pray exactly how I just told you to pray. Don't pray any other way. Don't make up your own stuff. People are blind. They need to see. God remove blindness from their eyes. People are in darkness. God let your light shine so they can see. Give them knowledge. People are under the control of Satan. God break the stronghold of Satan in their life that Satan will no longer have control in their life and loose upon them the power of God. When you do that, then you go talk to them about the Lord. <laughs> We have to bind and subdue the working of the power of Satan in the lives of those souls that are lost and separated from God. I'm finishing up here. I want to show you three passages of scriptures and I'm done. Short passages of scriptures of why it's important to do what I just told you for it to work. Watch this. Luke chapter 10 verse 17 And the seventy return, return again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subjected, are subject unto us through thy name. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as a lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give unto you power. Who did he say I give unto you? He said, I give unto you power, power over all are power to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing by any means shall hurt you. What are we afraid of? Notwithstanding in this rejoice not that spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Here is what Jesus was saying. Just by you being my children, I give you power to handle the devil and to handle evil. You have that because you're my children. So you guys coming back to me rejoicing, psyched up, saying, man, even the devils. We only realized they came back rejoicing that even the devils was subject to us. That's what they were all glad about. Man, we control some devils. And the Lord just nudged them. That's not impressive. I gave you power to do that. What you need to worry about is make sure you get to heaven. That's, that's what the Lord was saying to them. That's not impressive. You're my child. Why wouldn't my child have power over devils? I'm not going to let devils control my children. Matthew 12, 28. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is coming to you. Can you tell you about this kingdom thing. When you begin to do the work of the kingdom, the kingdom will manifest to those that we come at. So when I go to talk to somebody, I pray that prayer. If there's demons that's around, they're subjected to me. Whatever. Listen, can I tell you this before I close up? Let me tell you this. The devil knows how dangerous you are and he stops you before you ever can start to do anything for God. And we are dead as nails to that we don't even realize Satan is afraid of you when you become a child of God and because he knows that you have power to stop him he figured it out if I can get you to be all messed up if I can get you to be worried about yourself if I can get you to be caught up in this and caught up in that you will never realize your potential and I can keep doing what I'm doing to people we don't even realize that He is so afraid of us that he's trying to stop us before we ever come to the reality or realization that we have authority over him and his demons. He, We don't want to understand that we think he really does have power over us. And so we're skeptical and we don't want to exercise our authority when in actuality he's sitting back. Oh Lord, I hope they never come to the knowledge of who they are. All day today, I felt like the devil was trying to mess with my body. And I'm smiling. I said, boy, I'm getting ready to teach something powerful and he knows it. This is how I look at him. This is how I deal with him. I don't know about you, but this is how I deal with him. I says, look at the devil. He is trying to mess with me today because he's afraid of what I'm going to tell you all tonight. (laughs) I laughed all day today. I said, devil, you can't do anything to me and make me not do what I'm going to do for God. So you might as well just forget, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. Now you all need to laugh at him by doing what I'm telling you the word of God says. And that will be you laughing in his face, say, devil, I came to Bible study and I got it and I'm going to do it. He's afraid of you. Listen, if your daddy shows up and he's like, oh, Lord Jesus, just hold on. Can we talk about this? and he didn't open his mouth what kind of power you think you got you are your daddy's child I was watching something on Facebook where this little girl was bullied and she went home and talked to her dad her dad didn't go to school and beat up those kids he invested in karate lessons she learned how to do karate she was set Next time they come, I'm cleaning house. Made me think about this lesson tonight. God didn't turn you loose among the bullies without giving you karate lessons. And you think the bullies are the bullies? Don't worry about their faces, how they want to look and act. The Bible calls them a roaring lion. No, no, no. I'm sorry. The Bible said he's like a roaring lion. He's not a roaring lion. He acts like a roaring lion walking around seeking whom he may devour, but the Bible says he's not a lion. He's acting like one. God has equipped you. But the devil is trying to talk you out of it like he did in the garden. He's doing that to you. He did it in the garden. He talked Eve out of her authority she had authority and he talked her out of it and he's still doing that today he's talking you out of your power making you think you're powerless and so now you're afraid of him all right let me finish up because i'm right there i'm right there right there right there But if I cast out devils by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come unto you or else. How can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods? Except he first bind the strong man and then he will spoil his house. Okay. If God is calling you to be a witness which he is, he says, and you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me. So God is calling you to be a witness. Just by you called to be a witness and you having the power of God, that's your, that's your power right there. God's spirit in you is your power right there. The name of Jesus Christ is power and the word of God is your authority. So you have that. And so when you go to reach people, what you're doing is you're subduing the power and the control that's operating in their life. So when you go to someone, as we said before, what you're doing in order to really reach them where their heart is ready to receive and there's no forces resistant, you have to go and bind the force that's working in their life. So that's why we go and says, Lord, I bind the work of Satan in your life. Remember we talked about and turn them from the control of Satan over to God. So that's what you're doing. That's why you have to pray that way. Lord, I bind the work of Satan in your life. I bind the stronghold in your life. Because what you're doing now, you're subduing the work of Satan. And once you subdue the work of Satan, he no longer can back down the word. Just picture it this way. The word is coming. Satan stands before the people that he have under control and he just bats down the word. Because there's no power behind what you're speaking. But when you come and says, Satan, I bind you in the name of Jesus Christ. Now bind the works that you are doing in their life. I bind it in the name of Jesus Christ. What you're saying is now you put his hand behind them. him. They're bound. So when you pray that prayer, you put Satan in handcuffs. When you put him in handcuffs, now when you speak to that person, nothing stops the word from going to them. Because the person that would, the spirit that was trying to stop it is no longer powerful. Is no, has no more authority in their life. Mark chapter 3 verse 27. No man can enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods. Except he first bind the strong man and then he will spoil his goods. Jesus made it irrefutable clear that confronting and defeating the adversary for the purpose of spoiling his goods... Is the work of God. The devil is trying to claim people. That don't belong to him. This is what you got to remember. The Bible says. The earth is the Lord's. And the fullness thereof. The world and they that dwell therein. So here is my conclusion. You don't belong. And even lost people. That don't have a relationship with God. They don't belong to Satan. The earth is the Lord's the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. So everything in this world belongs to God. And the devil has come in and bound up the people that belong to God and started controlling their life, blinded their eyes, and had them operated in darkness. So that's what's wrong with our world. People are blind, they're in darkness, and they're under the control of Satan. The point is, Satan don't have authority over those people. He exercised it, but he don't have legal authority over people that are lost, that don't have a relationship with Christ. So when we show up, again, Satan has to be subdued by us because we're legal and he's not. He doesn't have the right. He doesn't have the right. We belong to God. And so by him binding your brother or your sister or your nephew or your mom or your dad, by him binding them up, he has done something illegal. Because they're not his. We can only be, only God's authority should and will be exercised or should be exercised in our life. Only God's authority. Because God, we belong to God and God died for us. God rescued us and he gave his blood for us. So he legally owns us. Satan don't own you, but he's trying to control you. So when we go, we have the right to say, Satan, I'm in the house. And my niece, she bound. But I'm speaking to you right now. I'm speaking to you right now, Satan. I command those chains, those invisible chains you have on my niece. I command them to be broken and fall right now. Satan, I bind up the work that you're doing in my niece's life right now in the name of Jesus Christ. And I loose the light of Christ in her life that she can see now. And I command the scales that's on her eyes that kept her blind for so long. I command those scales to be removed that she can see now. Then you get into start talking to that person about God. And you're going to wonder why you're listening so intently. Let's do the work of the kingdom, because that's the work of the kingdom. We have to plow the ground before we can sow the seed. Saturday morning when we go out in the street, when we go out in our community to show them the love of God and to tell them about Jesus Christ, I will teach a little bit on sowing the seed. So I just gave you plowing the ground tonight. Saturday morning we'll talk about sowing the seed before we go and knock on the doors. Does anyone have any question tonight? Any question from anyone concerning anything I've talked about tonight? Do you have a question? Is there something you want to know, even if it's off topic and you want to know something? Is there something you want to know? Yes, sir. Help Let me tell you something real quick. I was mentioning this to somebody today. There's a lady by the name of Angela Duckworth. She wrote a book entitled Grit. G R I T. Just started reading it. I'm about quarter quarter of the way through. And she defined grit as passion and perseverance. And here is what she's discovered because she's a psychologist and she does studies and they study data and all. What she has found out, it doesn't matter your IQ, doesn't matter your talent, doesn't matter your background. It's a lot of things that we put emphasis on as to why people are successful or not successful. And she narrowed it down to grit is why people are successful or not. Here's what I'm telling you. Just keep going. Don't stop. Persevere. Keep going. There's going to be good days. There's going to be bad days. There's going to be mediocre days. But if you just keep going and never stop, then you will one day look back and realize how far God has brought you. You will realize that you're doing okay. But the devil is wanting you to think sometimes that you're not. But uh, what I'm telling you tonight is, Keep on going. The only thing that will stop you and break you is if you decide to stop. I'm not even going to get into no great revelation or no in-depth of anything. Just keep going. Don't stop. You can be the most talented and gifted person and you won't make it because you quit. I don't have time for that. And you were the smartest one in the class. And everybody's saying, what happened? They were so smart. They didn't have grit. They didn't have passion for the Lord. So just keep on going. Any other questions? Yes, ma'am.